Hey there, and welcome to the podcast of Real Life Spokane. We are so happy you are joining us today. We exist to reach the world for Jesus one person at a time. And you can help us do that by liking, sharing, or subscribing to this podcast. Let's jump in. We are finishing this series, um, really asking the question, how is it possible that Jesus' church has endured? Many of us have gone through some of the more difficult years of our lives, these last couple of years. And some of us, our our faith has been tested or or shown um, weak and lacking. Others of us, we've been strengthened through these years. And when we look at history, we've been studying some of church history over these last 10 weeks, trying to understand what has made it possible for the miracle of Jesus' church to continue to endure through plagues and through wars and through persecution. We're reading about pastors and leaders in India being killed for their faith this week. How is it that, that, that we are a part of something so supernatural that it can endure through so much difficulty? And we've come to this conclusion over and over through this series. Strong churches come from strong people. Enduring church comes from enduring people. You and I recognizing that God is calling us to become a people of strength of power, of conviction, not wishy-washy, not not half-hearted, but all in, passionate, on fire for the work of God in our lives. And so we're looking at this final week here today, asking that same question, how is it, Jesus, that your church has endured? Would you open your Bible to 1 Peter chapter 2? 1 Peter chapter 2. I'm gonna pray as you turn there. If you don't know where that's at, Google it, table of contents in your Bible or Bible app, we've got the notes all on there for you as well. First Peter chapter two, let's pray. God, we come to you now. We ask you, Jesus, to be here in a miraculous way. Every heart, God, is yours. Everyone here, God, you know by name. Every story you understand, God. And your grace is so good, God, that you love to meet us right where we are. Amidst our pain, our brokenness, our fears, our struggles, our victories, God, you meet us right where we are today. And so we ask you to speak, that your word would come alive, that your spirit would be healing and drawing us to yourself, that you would just make your grace real in this time, Lord. We love you and we trust you. In Jesus' name, can you say amen? Amen. I love this conversation today because it's, it's answering this question again of why is it that Jesus' people have continued to endure? James fast-forwarded us last week about a thousand years. We were like fifth, sixth, seventh century, and he took us all the way into like the 15th, 16th century last week. And I want to continue that conversation from there because we have so much to see of what happened this period of history called the Reformation in the 16th century. Mid-1500s, 1520, 22, 24 is when the Reformation really began. See, the church had gotten corrupted through hundreds of years. Leaders in the church aligned with political figures and political figures with leaders in the church. And there was this kind of enmeshment of church and government and people trying to get their way with other people, touting religious uh, things through, through their church and saying, hey, we're, we're these kind of people. And so you should follow us and kings would switch. There's one king in England that actually switched religion six times to try to garner followership, to try to influence people. That's the corruption that was going on. And, and, and Jesus' people, the reformers of the 16th century began to rise up going, you know what? The church has been contaminated. We've got to get back to what Jesus intended his church to be like. 
And they started finding pieces that had gotten washed out and, and really illuminating those and trying to call God's people into right relationship with God. One of the critical things that happened in history was that the Bible actually got taken out of the educated language into the common language. Because religious leaders were the only ones that could read this highly educated language and could really, were the only ones that could understand God's word. And God was in this amazing way, bringing the reality of scripture, the truth of his heart, right into the ordinary life of ordinary people. And that began to affect people. One reformer named John Calvin was so passionate about not, not only good theology in the heart of life of every believer, but he also was super passionate about the way you and I know Jesus should affect the very world we live in, the society that we exist in should be different because of God's work in our lives. He was not content to allow religion to exist in an hour long service on a Sunday morning. That religion should actually affect the rest of our lives, that, that our workplace, our school, our neighborhoods should be different because of what God is doing in our lives. And this reformation that he was, he was passionate about was actually reforming entire cities, entire societies with the love and the grace of God. The way people treated each other should actually change the world that we live in. One of the guys, if you forward, fast forward a couple hundred years, 300 years from there or so, one of the guys named Jeremiah Lamphere was in America, in New York, and this was a kind of an ordinary guy, a leader within the New York community. There was a massive financial crisis in the 1800s. Banks were closing because they lost um, um, credit and they lost their, their, their assets to match the, the, the amount of money and all of that. And so they were actually having to close down. The financial crisis in New York was creating like massive amount of insecurity. People were committing suicide. I mean, lives were in desperation because the, their, their, their economy was falling apart. And Jeremiah decided to start a prayer meeting. Every day, the business community would take a real serious lunch hour from 12 p.m. to 1 p.m. And he said, you know what? I, I can't necessarily change our economy, but I can start praying. And so he invited some friends, some businessmen to meet with him at noon during this lunch hour uh, on September 23rd, I believe, 1857. And, and uh, when he uh, met for the first time with these guys, there was six of them there. They began to pray together. The next week they came back again and I think there was about 25 of them there. There wasn't a sermon, wasn't like a big worship service, it was prayer. They would take prayer requests and they would pray for each other and they would pray for their, their city. The next week there's 50 some people there. The next week, you know what they did? They expanded it to five days a week. Every day during our lunch hour, we were gonna pray together. That movement began to spread and the momentum began to grow and other churches and buildings started to open up at noon every day for prayer meetings. And, and pretty soon tens of thousands of people were meeting across New York and eventually it started to spread to Chicago, Boston, to all these other big financial hubs throughout our country. And during the midst of one of the most crazy financial crises in our, in our nation's history, over a million people came to know Jesus Christ in a two-year window. Because an ordinary guy named Jeremiah said, we should pray. Hey, business friends, hey, coworkers, we should pray. 
We should, we should just go to God together and believe that God can actually change and work in our lives. Where, where people were hopeless, they were finding hope in Jesus Christ as the economy was crumbling and their, their possessions in this world and their ideas about success were all falling apart. God's light and his grace showed up in a miraculous way so that lives were being rescued through this window. When you look at that period of history, it's so important for us just to see the tangible kind of small details of like Jeremiah, just a guy that saw the need in his city and said, you know what? I, I don't know what I can do, but we can pray. Uh, he's not like a pastor going to pre- preach a big sermon. He's just going to get people together and pray. Jesus church has endured through the centuries because Jesus people have recognized that it's their call. It is their responsibility to live out Jesus calling in every ordinary moment of their life. They have understood that real life is where Jesus wants to work. One of the broken things that happened in church history was that there was this massive separation from, from the sacred moments and the secular moments is what they called it. Like, like these holy things that happen in a building on a Sunday or a cathedral in in church history to these really ordinary business transactions or school moments or homework assignments that are going on throughout the rest of the week. The Reformation was this bringing together of God's people, the sacred and the secular going, hey, there is this responsibility I have to be God's people everywhere I go, everywhere I am. I am there on purpose with a call of God on my life to be who he's called me to be. Jesus church has endured because Jesus people have recognized that it's my responsibility to be Jesus church wherever I am. But this isn't like the church. We are the church and we exist for our city. We don't, we don't come in here to kind of get away from our big bad city. We are here to be equipped and empowered and sent out into this field that God has given us to see people experience the love and the grace of Jesus Christ. See, Jesus people living for Jesus in our workplaces, in our small ordinary moments, Jesus people recognizing the responsibility of all those real life moments and how important they are for us to be who he's called us to be in those moments. This is what's made Jesus church endure. That we don't allow our religion to get suffocated to an hour a week. We don't allow our religion to, to, to leave us powerless amidst the everyday little moments of life. That we walk with the grace of God, the call of God, the power of God on our lives everywhere we go. Jesus said it like this in Matthew chapter five, verse 13. He says, you are the salt of the earth. If the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, in the same way, real life, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your father in heaven. See, I believe that this is what's made Jesus church endures. Jesus people recognize that, that we are his church and we are here for our city that we are called by God, empowered by God to live out 
this good news, this grace of God, what he's doing in our lives is to be impacting every relationship we are in. I struggle with this. I compartmentalize my life. We kind of do this, don't we? Where we have like holy moments and really ordinary moments. I'm just getting gas, Richie. I am just going to the grocery store. I don't want to talk to you about how the price of milk is right now, okay? I just want to get back to my house. And and we have this disconnect. I know I do. I struggle with this all the time where I'm like, well, I'm just here. I'm I'm just, you know, being this dad moment right now or I'm just talking to my wife or we're just doing these things. And I minimized all of these holy opportunities because I've compartmentalized my life. And I love the way Jesus speaks in Matthew 5. You are. Not sometimes you kind of have salt or every once in a while you might have light inside you, but you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. You are a city on a hill. You are a lamp to be put on a stand that this entire room would be lit with the light, the fire that's burning inside you. And for me, this just compels me to go, God, how do I, how do I live like that? I, I don't want to compartmentalize. I don't want to, I don't want to have sacred and secular. I don't want to have this disconnect. God, I want to know your power, your love, your calling, your grace moving through this life every day, every ordinary moment. I want to be your church, Jesus. That's where First Peter is so good, I believe, for us to hear today. So if you got First Peter chapter two in your Bible, this is really the how. How do we live like these called people? How do we live the way God would call us to live? Look at verse nine with me. He says, you are a chosen people. Let's let this settle in for a second. The moment that you recognize your sin, your need for a savior, it's called conviction. The Holy Spirit was working in your life to bring you to a place of repentance where you go, I can't, I can't save myself. My sin is too great. That's the conviction of the spirit of God. That is God marking you for salvation. That is God going, you are mine. And when you recognize that sinfulness, you begin to repent. God, I need you. I need salvation. I need a savior. That is God saying, yes, I've already known that. And that's why I've sent my son to die in your place. He is the substitute for your sinfulness and his righteousness now can become yours. This is God saying, you are mine, a chosen people. Look at what he says next. You are a royal priesthood. Again, back in that Reformation era, it was such a chasm between the ordinary people and clergy, like pastors and leaders in the church. It was this massive chasm, like, well, they're the called, gifted, you know, holy people, and we're the ordinary nobodies that have nothing. Peter is absolutely saying the opposite. No, no, no. You, you, you have a relationship with God. You are a chosen person. You are a royal priest. You are actually God's minister in your family, in your workplace. You are his priest in that, in that team that you are on, at the school that you go to. You are God's priest to those people. The one that actually brings the grace of God to those people that you're in relationship. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. I love this. Once you were not a people, you had no name, you had no identity, you had no security, but now you are the people 
of God. You have a name. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So dear friends, this is verse 11. I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world. Listen to his perspective. This world is not your home. You've been chosen by God for for a heavenly kingdom, for his kingdom. You've been called by God out of this world and its desires. Don't live for this world any longer. You are an alien. You are a stranger on this planet. You are a foreigner. You no longer belong to this world. And so I want you to abstain from the things of this world, the sinful desires which war against your soul. Hear the urging, I urge you. You don't don't live for this world, so don't get caught up in the priorities of this world. Don't get caught up in the desires of this world. Don't get caught up in the things that will entangle you and, and wage war against you and try to keep you from your calling, keep you from your purpose, keep you from this anointing of God's priest in the place that he has put you. Don't allow yourselves to get contaminated and look like everyone else. Act like everyone else. Make decisions like everyone else. You are a foreigner. You think different. You're a part of a heavenly kingdom. This perspective is so important. If you and I are gonna live God's people in our ordinary places, we recognize, man, I am not of this world. I am called to a different kingdom. So abstain, stay away from, you know the word abstain. None of it. Keep away from those sinful desires which war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that he visits us. Here it gets real practical. How do we do this? Verse 13, submit yourself for the Lord's sake, for the Lord's sake, Submit yourself for the Lord's sake, not for your own sake, for the Lord's sake, to every authority instituted among men, whether to the king as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will. Have you ever wondered what God's will is? It is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish men. Here's the problem. We think we can silence foolish talk of ignorant people by talking louder and talking more. He said, it is God's will that by doing good, by walking the way I've called you to walk, by loving the way I've called you to love, by living the way I've called you to live, that you would actually be able to silence ignorant talk of foolish people, that you're not called to make a lot of noise. You're called to do a lot of good. If you and I to understand this is so important. This is God's will. Live as free men and do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as servants of God. I'll stop there for right now. Because when I look at this passage, I'm just compelled to go, okay, God, I see you changing the way we think about ourselves. I see you changing the way we view ordinary life. I see you, God, um, bringing a sense of courage and empowerment to your people, God. How, How would you bring us to a place of practically living this out? First piece of Peter that I think is so important for us to grab a hold of, if you're taking notes today, is that he wants us to live called. You are God's chosen people. 
you were a royal priesthood. Think of what a, a priest, we were, I was talking with our staff about this this week, a priest, when, when they would anoint a priest for ministry, they would pour oil over their head. And this is in the Old Testament. And it wasn't just like a little drop of oil. You know, our elders pray for people and we put a little bit of oil on. Like if, if we were doing it biblically, it would be like bucket of oil, right? Over your head. And, and, it's, and it's this covering of God's spirit. There's imagery in Psalm 133 of the oil running down Aaron's beard off the hem of his garments. It's this covering of God's grace that he has called you by name. He has saved you for a purpose. He has called you out of darkness into light so that you can declare the wonders of his glory, of what he has done in your life. For you and I to walk into our workplace with with this sense of anointing and calling on our lives is so essential. Here's what this looks like. I am here on purpose for a purpose. I am here with the purpose of God in my life at this workplace, in this school, in this family, as this mom, as this dad, in this neighborhood. I am here with a purpose on purpose. One of the struggles of our lives is we think we are there to find purpose. You are not in that workplace to find purpose and significance. You have already been given that by the call of God on your life. There is no wonder some of us are struggling, feeling insecure about our work, about our contribution, about our success, about our failures, about our financial portfolio, because those things were never intended to give us purpose. This world is never going to satisfy. It is never going to give you a sense of satisfaction. Like, oh, this is why I'm here. God is going, that is not why you're here. I have called you by name. You are my chosen people. You are a royal priest. You are there to declare my praises. You walk into work different. I'm here with a purpose. I'm here on purpose. I am here anointed and called by my God for for his purposes to live out his glory and his grace in this workplace. Man, those kind of people change companies. They change businesses. They change your school. They change the, the environment and the atmosphere that they are in. And those are people that I believe God wants us to be. Not a people looking for purpose, but living with the call of God on our lives. Think about how insecure we are when we're trying to garner approval. Am I doing a good job? Am I, am I doing it right? And God's all along going, I've called you. I've anointed you. You are mine. I've chosen you. You are there with a purpose, on purpose. You don't got to try to find purpose. I've already given it to you. Would you live with that calling over your life and in your heart? Man, those are a different kind of people. Those are people that stand out. Those are people that aren't insecure about their life and about their job and about all these things that we're navigating. Is the economy weird? And are these things tough? And are we uncertain about the future? Absolutely, those questions still exist, but we know our calling is not shaken. Our purpose has not changed. No matter what this world does, however it crumbles, whatever kind of is tumultuous around us, our calling is sure, it's steadfast, our feet are steady, we are not shaken, we are a people who endure. When you live with this calling, you are not a frightened, running around person, you are a person with a sense of purpose and steadfastness to your soul. And that's the kind of people our city needs. That's the, kind of, that's the kind of family that you want to be a part of, that you are called to lead. That's the kind of neighborhood that, that God wants you to make right where you are. 
See, you are here for a reason. And wherever you've come from, however you've gotten here, whatever your story has been, those moments are so significant. But what I love is that God brings all of that past together. He brings all of those moments, broken or awesome, to this moment for us to go, yeah, am I really living called? Called by God. The other thing that's so important in this passage is that we would not only live called, but also live empowered. See, the spirit of God is in you and on you. When you repent of your sin, give your life to Jesus, and you're baptized in water, you're dying to your old self. Self-made, self-led life, it's going away. Now God gives you a deposit of his spirit inside you. The spirit that rose Jesus from the grave, that spirit is coming inside you. And now you and I are given the power of God in our lives. Those ordinary moments now are empowered moments. Those, those, those times when we don't know what to say or how to pray or what to do or if we should call or, 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 or what those little tiny moments are. God gives us the words. He gives us the courage. He gives us the opportunities. Man, I love God's people because they're led by grace and by favor. God opens doors ahead of us. He is way ahead of us. And we have an opportunity to walk into those little tiny moments that seem so insignificant with the call of God in our lives, with the spirit of God coursing through our veins, with a sense of urgency for this mission. These little ones that you're raising, that is the moment that God has given you to impact their life for the rest of their life and for all of eternity. These little small moments are empowered moments where God is going, you are mine and I put my spirit inside you and you don't got to fear this world and all the things happening around you because you have my spirit sealed on your heart for all of eternity and you have been given the power of God inside you. See, see, people of God live empowered. This is what makes the Jesus church endure because the fears and the chaos of this world don't, don't dictate our soul and our status of our heart and our mind. We have a resilience about us because we know it is the power of God residing in us that is gonna lead us through every one of these challenges that we are facing. Every opportunity we are given, God is going to work in it. I have the spirit of God inside me and on me. I am empowered to say and to do what he asked me to say, what he asked me to do. God, where you are working, I will be there and I will be there with faith and understanding God that is gonna be your power working in my life. Are you with me this morning at 11 o'clock? Yes. This is so important for us. Get it out of our heads and our minds that, 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 that the world is going to change when our church does it just right. Well, when we get our services a little bit better, when the pastor preaches a little bit more awesome, right? Like our, our city's going to change when, when we get our bathrooms remodeled. Well, it actually might. That's common. <laughs> You hate our bathrooms, don't you? I, I, me too. We're getting them remodeled. Okay, it's going to be awesome. But you know, it's like this building. It re, what matters is you, you tomorrow morning, you this afternoon, you being who God has called you to be. Man, that 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 changes everything for the endurance of Jesus Church. Live free. That's the third thing. You live called. You live empowered. And you got to live free. I love how Peter says it. He says, you, you, you live as free people. Verse 16, do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but live as God's slaves, God's servants. Live as free people. 
No matter what your status is, you don't feel free. Maybe you're bound in debt. You're bound at a job. You're bound in uh, a struggle of life. Live as free people. Understanding that what Jesus has ultimately done is he has paid our debt. He has paid the price of our sin. The thing that would keep us from God in all of eternity is our sinfulness. And Jesus decided to take that on himself. He paid the the penalty of our sin so that wherever the spirit of the Lord is, where God has placed his spirit, there's freedom. Whom the son has set free is free indeed. That you would recognize that the freedom of God is on your life. That work situation doesn't own you. That person doesn't own you. That feeling of insignificance doesn't own you. That addiction doesn't own you. That past hurt doesn't own you. That bitterness doesn't own you. That I've been set free. And I'm free to become who God made me to be. I'm free to be used by God. You walk with a different sense of confidence. Understanding that you have been set free. I don't got to prove myself to you. I'm free. I don't got to try to get my significance from you. I'm free. And he says it's so cool. I love how Peter says it. Don't use your freedom as a license to sin, be arrogant. Use your freedom as an opportunity to serve. That's the fourth thing. Live as a servant. If you're going to be an enduring person, you got to recognize the posture of our Savior. That though he be in the very image of God, the likeness of God, he considered equality with God, not something to be grasped or held on to, but he, but he gave that up, willing to come here to earth, to walk sinless and perfect, be wrongly accused, and willingly give his life as a ransom for you and I. The picture's just ringing in my head this morning is Jesus on trial. This is Passion Week, Holy Week. When Jesus is betrayed, he's drugged in front of his accusers. Pilate, the Roman kind of guy that's in charge of that region is hosting the trial and all the religious leaders are heaping insults and accusations at Jesus. None of them are true. How tempting it would have been to go, nah, to defend himself, to stick up for himself. He probably could have pointed at several of them and go, I healed your brother. I was there when, when, when your mother needed food. It could have been so easy, but Jesus, like a sheep before the slaughter, was silent. And Pilate, He's asking Jesus, what do you have to say? These people are, they're accusing you of all these things. Don't don't you have something to say? You know, I have the power of life and death over you. I can can send you to your death or I can set you free. Jesus is quietly and calmly says, the only authority you have has been given to you by my father in heaven. You don't know me. You don't define me. And in that moment, When Jesus could have exerted his power and his authority, he just chose to serve, sacrifice, to willingly submit to the Father's plan. He said, nobody takes my life from me. I lay it down on my own accord. 
see as Jesus' people called, empowered, free. We take all of that and we serve. We love, we forgive, we overlook offenses. We walk in grace, we walk in humility. We walk as a servant. Jesus took the strong things of this world and actually shamed them with the weak things. He took the wise things of this world and he made them so foolish. When everybody wanted a king to exert his strength, Jesus served. When everybody wanted a ruler to kind of empower them and rule over them, Jesus sacrificed. Would have been a great moment of strength, Jesus brought weakness. Take me. Our Savior saved us through sacrifice and servanthood. The city is going to change when his people recognize the power of servanthood. Not of exerting power and words and authority and strength, but of weakness, humility, sacrifice. God takes the foolish things of this world and he uses them to shame the wise. The weak things of this world and uses them to shame the strong. See, none of us are anything or anyone when he calls us. It's by his grace and his grace alone that you and I are saved. And it is by his grace and his grace alone that this city will be changed. We don't get started in grace and then walk away from grace and do it all in our strength. No, no, no. It's the grace that saved us. It's the same grace that's going to sustain us and make us the people that he's called us to be. I want to pray a prayer of commission over all the priests in the room. Would you stand to your feet today with me? This is a sacred week, Jesus. It's the week where your salvation culminated. God, that salvation is being poured out in this room. It's been poured out over the last couple thousand years. Millions, billions of hearts, God. Yet here we are. Just a few hundred of us, insignificant, in Spokane. And yet, God, we sense your presence. We hear your voice. God, we know your power coming into our lives. Lord, I just see in this room a people who recognize, God, it is by your grace that we have been saved. It is by your power that we have been rescued. It is by your authority over death and sin, God, that we are free. So Jesus, we choose to stand here today in your authority, in your power, in your grace, in your humility, God. By your spirit, God, would you just pour out an anointing on your people, God? A priestly anointing to carry your your message of hope to every corner of this city this week, God. 
pour out your spirit, God, in, in an empowering way over every soul stands here today, God. These are your priests. These are your chosen ones. These are the ones that you've called by name, God. You've rescued out of darkness. These are the ones that you've set up on a new way, God, to declare your glory and your praise, God. God, may this week be a miraculous week, an empowered week. May this Easter, God, be a miraculous Easter, Lord. May, may lives be miraculously changed. God, may, may people in this room be used in ways they never thought they could ever be used this week, God. Oh God, simple prayers, simple phone calls, ordinary moments, God, filled by your power, by your spirit, by your grace this week, Jesus. Oh, you're so good, God. You're so good, God. life, I want you to know that I love you. And I believe with all my heart that God is calling you. That this city is going to be changed through you. I pray that this week you would go in the grace of God, not in your own strength, in your own power, but with the grace of God. That you live called, empowered, free, and as a servant this week. It's going to be an awesome Easter Sunday, Easter Saturday, Sunday. I pray that God uses you powerfully. Fill up every seat and every service. People need to know the hope of Jesus. I'm so excited for this weekend. Any next steps or prayer that you need, we will be down front here. We'd love to pray with you. We'd love to talk with you. Drop those cards, those giving envelopes in the box as you leave. And if you do forget candy, go get it right now. Thanks again for tuning in to the Real Life Spokane podcast. We want to encourage you and help point you closer to Jesus. So be sure to visit our website or to reach out on that phone number. We love you, Real Life. See you next time.